Welcome to the podcast of data and analytic in business. We will learn from the leading industry experts using data and analytics to solve the problems and create values in practice. We will also learn where the industry is heading to and how data and analytics will shape the industry in the future. Most importantly, how they are preparing their business for digital transformation and disruption in the future. I'm your host, Jason Tan, and thank you for listening. In this episode, we have got Anatoly Tochinsky. Anatoly is the head of data analytic and AI practice at CGI. Established in 1976, CGI is among the largest IT and business consulting service firm in the world, with a presence across 21 industries in 400 locations and 80,000 workforce. CGI provides a comprehensive, scalable, and sustainable IT and business consulting service. Anatoly holds 16 patents across the area of data, analytics, and AI. In fact, one of his patents is being used to build the IBM Watson analytic technology. Anatoly shared with us some of the works that he has done at the CGI Innovation Center and also the Government of Canada Skill AI program. He shared with us about the importance of this program to be in place and how it set the tone in creating innovation, solving the customer problem and their pain point with various and various experiments. Equally, how that can be replicated and how this success can be replicated with other customers who have shared the similar pain points. Apart from that, we talk about the personalization and the customer experience in the B2B space using the data and the analytics. One of the very interesting coming out of this is how to look at a lot of this behavior from the company perspective because of their budget constraint, payment lifecycle, size and the frequency of the order from the company perspective instead of an individual. If you are building digital products, if you are running data analytics, and if your industry is a B2B space, I highly encourage you to tune in to listen to what Anatoly have got to say in this space. Finally, Anatoly and I have a deep dive about the general AI versus the narrow AI and what does it mean for us in the future. Last but not least, if you are C-level executive or C-1 and you want to understand how to create a strategy that is based on data, analytics, and AI, to drive better business outcome for your organization, this is the episode, not the piece. If you have any question for me or Anatoly, please send us a voice message or email. As usual, you can connect to Anatoly on LinkedIn. If you enjoy more episodes like this, make sure you subscribe to the Analytics Show podcast at your favorite podcast platform. And I'll speak to you next week again. Thank you. Hello, Anatoly. Welcome to the Analytics Show podcast. Super duper excited to have you here. And thank you so much for coming into the meeting from uh, all the way in Canada at this late hour in the evening of Monday. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Very excited to joining your uh, podcast as well and appreciate the opportunity joining today and looking forward to share 
all the insights I can share. So uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm looking forward to hear all of those insights, especially some of the works that you have done in the past, even back in the Cognos day. Now let's get the thing starting like a little bit. I uh, read that you speak six languages, English, French, German, Hebrew, Russian, Ukrainian. How did you manage to learn all of those languages? Yeah, and I even surprised myself, but all of that, I guess, happened naturally because so I born in Ukraine. So that kind of adds Ukraine and it was back a formal Soviet Union. So that kind of eliminates Ukraine, that Russian on top, just as a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, you know, both languages matter. Then I did leave. My parents decided to go to Israel back in 90s. So I lived in Israel. For good 10 years, almost eight years, I left to Germany for two years back in uh, 92. So I lived in Germany and those were days where I actually was very actively playing tennis. So I went there as a as youngster uh, playing some uh, tournaments and playing some leagues in Germany. And then I went back to study in Israel. So that Germany and Israel in English, we're speaking English now. So I'm in Canada now for 20 years. So I need to speak well, well English, I guess. <laughs> that makes sense. And speaking of tennis, I didn't realize you are quite a player in terms of fans and playing in the lead as well. But I do know that you volunteer quite a bit as a tennis coach. Is there any particular player that you support in the tennis tournament? Don't worry that you will be upsetting anyone. <laughs> Yeah, no. So, yeah, my two big passions are, uh, well, data and tennis, right? So tennis is uh, definitely a big part of my life. So I've been playing myself, but then in Canada, if you know, right, it's been growing quite a bit in terms of popularity. We're getting some good players. So actually a good friend of uh, parents from uh, Shapovalov, if you know, he's a good player now. He grew up a Canadian one, but obviously admired the play of uh, Federer and uh, Nadal and all those big players for sure. But helping uh, just grow tennis in Canada, my, my kids play tennis, so it's kind of bonding the family as well. And it's great sport. Obviously, we only get uh, six months of uh, summertime in Canada, then we indoor. So, <laughs> but, you know, still continue playing both seasons uh, in Canada. Good stuff. I love to see uh, you playing tennis and perhaps uh, getting you to show me how to play tennis uh, someday. I'm actually hoping to pick up some uh, golfing in coming months. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> now, uh, share with us a little bit about your current role as a senior director in artificial intelligence solution and head of analytic AI practice at CGI. Yeah, so it has a kind of uh, different aspects. So in terms of my big responsibility, obviously, it's about growing the CGI footprint, overall footprint in the area of data analytics and AI, which includes uh, companies know about CGI in that space, right? So go to market, branding, all the way up to the PNL responsibility to ensure we get successful customer engagements and stories and, and building some industry solutions. Now, being a kind of innovator in mind, a big part of my career being on the technical side, I also actively involve and lead innovation centers. So innovation center is really about building some, incubating some innovations that then have, can be industrialized and can be applied to real industry use cases and scenarios. So many times we get the clients coming in and we build some, some new ideas. We also get Government of Canada program 
that help us uh, incubate some of those ideas and bring to the market. So overall, the scope, like I said, you know, it goes all the way from working with the client to deliver successful engagements, promoting CGI brand, increasing the footprint overall of CGI in this area, and how we bringing new innovations to the market. I'd love to find out about the Innovation Center and also some of those government programs. But before that, I want to ask you a little bit more. If you don't mind, can you please introduce CGI to our listener? I believe we do have CGI here in Australia, some footprint as well but uh, some of the listeners are from all over the world. They may not necessarily be familiar about what CGI does and how big the company and what area does it focus. If that's okay, if you give me a plug about CGI, that would be good. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So CGI is um, the end-to-end uh, business and the business slash industry and IT services company. Uh, it has offices in every city in Australia too, but it's relatively smaller in Australia compared to North America. Overall, worldwide, it's 80,000 people, so it's significantly large company. And it likes to say it's the largest service, business services and IT service company, Canadian company in Canada. So yeah, the main Focus of the company is large modernization projects, IT modernization projects. Obviously, in my area is about big data and data-driven digital solutions for the cloud, bringing it to the clients. And uh, many times, it start could start with a small engagement uh, with some proof of values, or it can start with some strategy engagement. But then it leads to global rollout across different cities and across different continents, U.S., Canada, Europe, and so on. So 80,000 around the globe, apart from uh, having the biggest presence in Canada and in U.S., what are other key countries or the focus in terms of the footprint for CGI? Yeah, so it's very big in Europe. So I think the third uh, Largest country present is UK, France, very big in actually Norse countries, uh, Finland, Norway, uh, Sweden. It has also industry uh, vertical center of excellence uh, built in some of those countries. Like, for example, Sweden has a life science and pharma center of excellence. It also, like I said, it has presence in Australia, where it focuses on some big manufacturing clients. Like, for example, we do some projects in Canada for Rio Tinto, and we do similar kind of projects for Rio Tinto in Australia. But yeah, big, big presence in Europe, very big in the U.S. and Canada. That is amazing. Now, early on, you talk about the uh, CGI Innovation Center. I believe you play a huge role in running the CGI Innovation Center. Would you share with us some of the successful outcome and what the Innovation Center does? Absolutely, yeah. So the idea about the Innovation Center is twofold. One is showcase some applied, in my case, AI innovations, so that we can replicate success to the clients of, with similar pain points or challenges. And those could be the things like preventive maintenance for manufacturing, when certain equipment can stop working, and what are the key factors that can impact your production line, or how you can provide a digital experience for the clients, or how you can remotely fix the machine using digital twin technology. So that's something that CGI done 
and has a proven practice, it has some what's called you know, industrialized IP, which then it can apply and replicate success for other clients. But then it's also to bring some novel, completely novel new ideas to the innovation center where clients kind of got some pain, they want to solve that pain, but they really don't know how technologically to solve it. And uh, if there is a potential for innovation, also Government of Canada is a big fan of building those innovations in Canada. So there is a program called Scale AI program where government will pay 50% of expenses for the research to build some and incubate some novel ideas and patent them. So things that fall under that, right? Uh, For example, again, if we go back to the manufacturing world, video recognition or voice recognition around equipment malfunctioning, right? So it's more a deep learning technologies where you analyze the voice when you analyze the video and you can understand if there are certain problems can cause in production. More on the customer engagement side where the system can automatically through the digital journey of the client, right, where they try to complete some order or they try to buy something, the system detects if there is any struggle in completing the order and automatically provides personalized content to that user so they can continue and finish their journey. There is also some smarts, again, you know, in a customer 360 digital world where we can combine some physical data of the customers and the digital to, again, provide the best engagement experience at the right point of time and with the right, again, products and the the right pricing and stuff like that. So again, conceptually, if I try to conceptualize it a bit, right, there's three big areas. One is around customer, right? And it could be B2B customers, right? The company serving companies, right? And provide more self-serve personalized experience. so it's going from kind of mass production of things to mass individualization of things. The other aspect is a machine, right? Production line, ensuring the machine have the most optimal life and produce the most highest quality of goods, right? And there is a recommenders built into it to make sure there is a next backstage action recommendation to ensure machine is executing the most optimal way. And there is also this deep learning analysis around image, video, and voice recognition, which is very applicable. Again, examples, manufacturing, also applicable for education, industry, any organization, financial services, insurances, where the processing documents but now, for example, in COVID area, there is a hard, you can't really bring the printed copies. So a lot of processing done using digital copies. So understanding that it's a real document or it's not a real document, it's a real person, not the real, doing identity detection resolution through remote kind of communication. That's very big thing, right? So again, bringing technology to enable a uh, new way of working in this digital world is, is really the key focus for Innovation Center. That's amazing. And you touch on the uh, building the personalization in the B2B space. I presume that is taking the concept in terms of like what has been happening in the B2C space where there has been so much of the personalization to, in order to be able to build up the cust- a better customer experience in the B2C space. I presume that is a similar concept of what you were referring to in building up, but serving that in the B2B space. And should that be the case, 
how much work has been done in that space in building this sort of a personalization in B2B? Because I think I haven't quite said much of that in terms of like what is happening. Do you mind to share with us? Yeah, absolutely. It has been quite a bit, right? Because the big, big part of that, right? So there's a point of sales, right? Like a big company could be selling electrical equipment, medical equipment, any kind of equipment, right? And there's a Companies that producing this equipment and shipping, let's say, this equipment to those uh, points of sales. So a lot of it is really understanding, you know, supply and demand, understanding the certain budgetary constraint, understanding the cycles of the, the most preferred method of payments, understanding the payments cycles as well. What's the best payments term? So a lot of business scenarios not following just, I need to engage with you at this time with this product. It becomes more bigger management and more complex management around understanding overall budgetary cycles, the product supply and demand, the payment cycle associated with particular type of products. So that the business Let's say it's a hardware store, right? That is ordering from hardware manufacturers certain goods can get the products at the most optimal personalized term, and then they complete this order being completely self-served, right? They do not need to play the call and, and be confused and not to get what they want, to get partially what they want, and, and shipment not to be completed on time, right? So it is really to get create what is called catalog of products, right? Or, or create the basket of goods for the ordering automatically based on the historical information from this client, based on their budgetary constraint and provide it as much as possible pre-filled based on the information we have uh, about this business. Given that in the B2B space, often you have multiple touch points and multiple stakeholders involved. That being said, it seems to me it could create some challenges in terms of the personalization when you need to figure out who exactly would be the stakeholder coming from the B2B space in that particular process. Is that one of the challenges that you guys are finding in doing that? Well, the individual person probably less so, but the behavioral patterns, right? That's really where the data and AI brings some value, right? So the analysis that we cannot do as a human, right, but machine can, is analyze the behavior pattern in terms of recurring purchases or delete times, right? One person will come in and add to basket and then will leave. But that's totally normal, right? For whatever the batch ordering, it's not a banded basket. For the other customer, it is a banded basket. So it's very much tailored to the particular business behavior, but it's also has a broader scope in terms of budgetary constraint, payment methods, to your point, the channels, right? Is it the channel or somebody is ordering mobile, somebody ordering web, somebody still plays a call, right to order. But again, this basket can be pre-filled. The payment can be pre-filled. The payment terms can be pre-filled, right? And a lot of things can be automated and be a much more efficient way. I have to say, I find it extremely refreshing in terms of analyzing that behavior created by the company because of, because of a group of the individual. It is something I have never really thought of at all. So thank you so much sharing of that. Now, speaking of the government of the Canada Skill AI program that you spoke about, what do you think are the key learnings that we or our government in Australia or some other part of the world can learn from Canada and this initiative? 
Well, I think the big part of it really, and this is kind of setting tone for new generation and everyone, right? Canada is in big support to build industry innovation in Canada and then promote it to the world, right? Because, you know, obviously many businesses in Canada, as well as in Australia, they're not a charity businesses, they need to make money, right? But really without having right level of research and support, and have it's hard to incubate new ideas, right? Because it's those ideas and especially data ideas are very iterative in nature, right? You kind of try it and it kind of works, but not quite. And you try it again and try it again. So you need to have right hardware, right infrastructure, right data, right people to make it happen. And right, obviously business aspect of it, right? To make sure it's not just technology innovation, is to make sure it's an applied technology innovation. So it has a right quantified business uplift and results in the business, right? And that's really the key spectrum also. So Scale AI program is about, and government will fund that program only in the case that it has applicability to make business better, to shape new industry, right? Or, or shaping new way of working in for that industry. I like what you say about setting the tone. I think that is super important in terms of like for the future generation and speaking of the better business outcome, I suppose it's not a surprise that the most of the C-level, they would have no doubt that data analytics and also AI can drive a better business outcome. So given of your career and experience, how would you advise the C-level to create the organization strategy based on data analytics and AI, especially if they are not too sure where to start? Yeah, so I think to your point, right, I think the key as a foundation to all of it is to understand that data is a foundation to drive operational efficiency in the daily life, as well as better strategic decision and execution along, right? So you're informed, you're not uh, executing based on your gut feeling on a daily basis and the long-term execution. So that's really the key. But I think where the many times the challenge lies is, can I trust this data? And do I have the right data, right? So it's very important to have a focus and understanding that you do have the data but that data is ties to the quantified business objectives for the short to long term. And the second thing, you have a high quality of data that you can trust. Otherwise, you would be making wrong decisions if you can trust the data. So it's kind of organizational thing, right? Which I'm describing in a minute more in deep, but, but it's, it's a lot of it ties also to ensuring that you have right governances in place to drive and ensuring you have right quality of data to drive your business outcomes, right? And quantify business outcomes. Now, in terms of definition of that, right? You kind of have to dream and understand even without any technology, what would you like the target state of your business to be, right? And really then help yourself or with the help of others, analyze the gap in between your current state and your desired target state at both operational and strategic level. So that will lead to some sort of a plan, right? From where you understand the challenges and you look at the data and where data you have and don't have, where you have quality, and then what are the technology needed, but that will lead to some sort of roadmap, three months roadmap, six months roadmap, nine months roadmap, one year roadmap, 
to the business objectives, which are quantified, to the technology that help you to achieve those business objectives with the data that you either have or need to have or need to curate. So that's kind of leads to your overall plan. Obviously, you need to make sure as you kind of start executing on some of those things, you need to be very humble and very agile, right? So because, you know, it's not about, you know, have a, you have to dream big, but you need to execute a small, right? So it's really ensuring that you have those proven values where you can quickly execute and prove business value, and then you can operationalize, right? So in terms of, you know, once you have roadmap, what's the key to that? You have to have execution plan, and you have to have what's called sustainability plan, right? So execution plan is really to make sure you're super agile, right, about it. Then you should be ready to have some technology-proof success, but not the business success. If you have technology said no business, then maybe that's not the right thing to operationalize. So be ready to execute those proven values, to have a quantified outcome for them, identify some quick wins through this roadmap. And once the one that really yield the business result you look, you were looking for, those you operationalize. Now, as you execute, very important to have the right governance. So we're talking data, it means data governments, governances for both organizational and sustainability purposes, right? So you do assign people who will ensure that data can be always trusted, right? So you have data stewards, data owners, you ensure you have a highly automated data ops for high quality data that you can always trust and make your operational and strategic decisions. Obviously this is quick runs through thousand feet, but this is very high level how you would be looking at, I got my vision, I have my objectives for one year. How am I going to execute and sustain right, that advancement forward? I love it. I think that is a good high-level explanation. It seems that you play quite a lot of uh, importance in that advice that you were giving in on the uh, data governance. Is there any particular reason why you think that the data governance is super duper important in this whole journey of the data analytic and AI to build a better business outcome? No, absolutely. I think this is goes to two critical points I was uh, started with really, right? Key is really to have data that you can trust, right? So it's a high quality data. And the second thing, make sure that the data you got or you collect or need to collect ties to your business objectives. So for that purpose, you need to spend time and ensure you have right roles and right people that govern you through this process, right? When you start on executing with your data, you want to make sure there's a certain number tells you certain things. You need to make sure that you can go back to source and understand why this number is there. So you want to make sure they have a proper setup with the, with the right both people roles and infrastructure roles to continuously have high quality curated data. And a lot of it needs to be automated. Data is really a supporting aspect for the decisions. So it does not need to be set up such a way that you need to manually build it, right? So having the right governance is a place around the ownership, the stewardship, ensures that you have good quality of data. And another aspect, when you're making decisions, you have a unified 
common data literacy across your entire organization. So when you say something and you make decisions, it's understood the same way across all different parties. Now, coming back to a little bit about your career history, I understand that you hold 16 product patterns in use today. That is huge, 16. Please share with us about your pattern and perhaps one of your most favorite. Yeah, yeah. So all of them, as we kind of talk, right, and been my whole kind of 25-year career, it's really around automation and simplification of work and ingesting smarts with the processing of large big data into various industries, right? Whether it's a sensor processing, the recent one that was in the manufacturing around smart data aggregation, because those decisions need to be made real time. If you imagine, for example, processing of a, or a, of whatever we produce, the car or beer, right? But decision in terms of quality, if anything goes wrong, wrong temperature, wrong pressure need to be immediately made. Otherwise, the batch is finished and a lot of scrap. So production line managers, they typically work with iPad or whatever the equipment they got. They need to be recommended or need to understand if anything goes wrong, what needs to be adjusted, right? But processing so much data, if you imagine you have plans worldwide, right? Processing data and understanding what's going on and be able to remotely control it requires a lot of data crunching. So, so processing this data at aggregated form without losing the precision, processing at edge, that's some of the key smarts, right? That brings that value. So that would be some of the examples. Now, the one that I'm really proud of, and this is goes back to my IBM years, <laughs> even though I have some bad software, but, but really what I believe, truly believe, right? So we kind of got data and we want to get to actionable data insights, right? But there is a step in between, which many organizations struggle with and never get to actionable data insights. And that's really about data preparation, transformation, curation, whatever we want to call it, right? Or traditionally ETL, extract transformation and load, right? If we're talking batch-oriented processing. And they struggle quite a bit, right? To get to the state. So one of the innovation I had, and this is Watson Analytics is built on that pattern, is to go from data to insights in one step. The curation and data preparation done automatically, based the automatic data decoration interpretation, and based on this data, doing the full cleansing process, doing data unification and presenting the smarts already with unified data. So user can refine things, but the curation is automated. So there is no heavy duty manual step for data processing. So that one is I really proud of because it allows any technology company to talk about actionable data insights, again, to drive operational efficiency and strategic result and not be bogged down into data heavy duty data preparation process. That is amazing without revealing the trade secret. So how did that automation of the data cleansing happened within the Watson then? I mean, do you mind to share or maybe go a little bit deeper on that? Yeah, so obviously a lot of it is involving how can we better understand the data, right? So, and there's a lot goes into it, right? So data can be associated with specific domain. Data might have some words that are similar, right? Like Bob and Robert is the same person, or Lisa Elizabeth is the same thing, right? So when we talk unification, 
also data in between different data entities have different cardinality, right? So this has many relationship to one relation to this particular entity, or for example, a, a data can be either descriptive or can be categorical, right? Or can be measured, right? So if you try to abstract the concepts of data by trying to understand, is that symmetric or this is category, is that continuous or descriptive, what domain falls into uh, in terms of industry, uh, what cardinality has to rest of the data, you will be able to put this picture. And then unification piece, obviously, I talked about, right? Five Bank Street as word and five Bank Street as number, Lisa, Elizabeth, Robert, Bob. If you can unify some of it like that, you can probably get a good 80% very well curated data. By no means machine can replace what we do, but it's not from zero to 100, it's from refinement from 80 to 100, right? And that's a big thing, right? Because it's okay, we got you some insights and and then the rest 20, the way where I I really like the way it's filled, we ask you questions, right, as a user. So we feel they say, is that right? Is that missing? So it's very more interactive experience which leads machine to learn what you tell, take your feedback, take your decisions, and then get better and better over time. Based on what you said, and also borrowing the concept of the uh, speech recognition AI and uh, some of the things that I've been thinking about. And that's one thing that it got me thinking is that a lot of the AI that we have got at the moment is still the narrow AI. And when are we going to get to the general AI? I can't answer for that. But on the topic of the narrow AI, I can't help but to think that it is quite possible that we are going to have multiple of the narrow AI that specialize of just one domain and doing just one thing. So say, for example, maybe some uh, you would have the speech recognition in the banking industry doing all that sort of thing. My question though is because of the nature tendency of how everyone is training that AI for the platform like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, are we going to end up say 20 or 50 years later that there will be only very few big player that each of them is specialized in one thing whereas everyone else is just merely using the services provided by all of these platforms. Because of that, you are going to have very, very few companies going to be dominant for the entire world. Yeah, yeah. So a very good question, and I agree with you. So obviously, you probably heard the concept of transfer learning, right? Like there is, especially small companies, right? There is no NISA infrastructure in terms of DPU and later on the quantum when we come to that to lift the whole thing, right? And it probably doesn't make even sense, right? So I think in terms of big providers providing this generalized AI, especially in the area of NLP, right? Uh, Language processing, uh, all these things, you know, deep learning we talked about, but then to make it further applicable, and that's where quite frankly, right? The IBM CGI played the big role, right? We do leverage 
quite a bit cloud technologies from Google and TensorFlows and all that, right? A lot of cool open source been built and invested. We invested a lot in open source to build that generalized AI. But then that generalized AI is like a foundation, right? For your customized house. And the customized house is still your customized house. So it needs to be further tuned and build on top of it. But without foundation, the work won't be really possible to lift, especially for smaller companies, right? You probably saw the trend, like chatbots, right? With this whole COVID era, like my experience, banks, financial services, they struggle to handle number of calls, big time, right? But because of this open source technologies, right? Like Dialogflow, Raza, technologies that allow to build from to customized level, that those technologies enable rapid development of these virtual agents, right? Which is was great, right? Because like there was no way a company was able to handle those volumes of call. What happened? What happened was where transactions and all that. So that's I think going to remain in place. Big players provide those kind of infrastructure and uh, and transfer learning AI, but then obviously to make it really successful, you do need to have this domain expertise, industry expertise, and make it specific for the specific domain and use case. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing your view on that. I want to bring that conversation back to some part of the career you have in terms of uh, developing the go-to-market strategy for the digital products and innovation path that could come into handy what we just discussed about that narrow AI as well. So share with us some of your wisdom or experience you have gained on the GTM for digital product or perhaps SaaS product as well, i.e. software as a service. No, for sure, for sure. I think the key, right, for go-to-market strategy, right, you really need to, just a few aspects, right, and let's just name them kind of, and then go through the details. So the number one, obviously, who are you targeting, right? What is the market? So you need to understand the overall market, but who you're going after, and more specifically, who's day in the life in business work you're changing, right? So who is your target persona and how the day in the life will change as a result of your product, right, technology that you bring in. The second aspect I would call out is really the value proposition you bring with it, right? Why would they care? Why would it matter? How this is going to change this, right? The third one, you kind of need to stand out of the crowd, right? What is the differentiating strategy and approach you have to all of this, right? What will make this product offer or services really different compared to the competition? And like I said earlier, stand out of the crowd, And I think the fourth item, which is very important to all of this, right, and especially in my world of analytics and AI, how what you're going to bring as a technology enabler for this market going to adapt to the current and future needs, right, for your uh, audience, right? Because it's not just important that it works today. It's very important that it has this, well, let's just call it machine learning adaptability, to have the capability to change over time to adapt to either, to either internal or external needs, actually both, both needs, right? So that's kind of encapsulate the overall piece of when you're putting together the market strategy, what you need to think about. Now, obviously, you have to remember that one side doesn't fit all, 
right? So, and this is to, I think, your point about SaaS when you're mentioning, right? Once you figure out the audiences, you figure value proposition, differentiation, and adaptivity over time, it's still important that there is a small market, there is a large enterprises, there is a mid market. So you have to have different t-shirt sizes for right size of clients, right? And have this elasticity model where you can change your offering depending on different type of workload, right? And th- and that's kind of <laughs> to some degree SaaS slash cloud mindset, right? Uh, like you don't buy VM and stand VM or you buy hardware and you, and you marry it for life. You use it per demand, right? As much as you need it and you, you don't need it much today, but then you grow, you need more, you can scale per demand, right? So I think that's very, very important aspect, right? And you have to adapt to that aspect of work because that's where the market is, right? Uh, customers and clients and industry want to focus on their industry domain or near their work and they want technology providers solve the technology aspect to enable them to make the work better, right? And again, pay, pay per what they consume kind of thing. So all of that in the end, right, is kind of ties to what is the messaging, positioning, pricing, and also What's important, you know, full spectrum of life cycle services, right? Deployment, delivery, managed services, that that should all be tied to the value proposition. So you talk about the targeted market, the message positioning, pricing, et cetera, and also the marketing part in terms of that go-to-market. I suppose if we can categorize them, I would say they are belonging to of the marketing and which is also a lot of them are in the top of the funnel of the marketing for that go-to-market strategy. Now, that is new breed of a whole new ideology in terms of bringing the marketing, bringing the understanding of the customer into the product management. So, and this is especially easier to be completed when they are the digital product or the software as a service product where the developer could arguably understand that all the features that they have developed and built, how often people do they do people use them? How what does it take for people to use them? What are the sequence people are using them? And I think that is where the data and analytics can come into the picture and also creating the actionable insight where the developer are now taking the lot of understanding the customer. In your own experience and work, do you find that is happening in the larger enterprise, especially if they have a digital product? And I think having digital product becoming easier and easier. And what I'm trying to say is, for example, if you are a bank, in the past, is about going to the teller. But these days, you would have a digital app. You could technically, digital app is your digital product to manage that relationship. Likewise, for the insurer. Do you think that is happening enough in the large enterprise to apply these sort of ideas and move the load of the marketing into the developer and the product management as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. And like you said, it's a journey, right? So it's getting there. And I think you touched a few points, right? Uh, bringing kind of your target persona into the process of creation of this product offerings, wherever you're taking to the market. And that's why you have product owners, right? So you 
Corner is a product manager, works with a line of business to ensure there's a right expression of the capabilities to address all the needs and create the new day in the life of the target persona. So that aspect, right, I think more and more, especially in agile way of execution and methodology, definitely plays a big part. Now, the second part you talked about using data to drive your go-to-market big time. So we do see it a lot in healthcare and life science today for the obvious reasons, right? Right, all the decisions, what is the right audiences, right? Should be targeted with particular medicine, what it should be right price, right channel with the demand and all the way up to, you know, it's to some extent from this mass production to mass individualization of products. So in financial services and insurance, we do see a lot where it goes into what is the right premium, what is the right coverage, what is the right risk should associate for you specifically as a customer, right? So the products are not kind of cookie cutter specific products that you have, take it or leave it, is really personalized for you, right? In terms of your needs, in terms of your family situation, in terms of risk associated to give that product to you. So many insurances and financial services, all the way up to mortgages and life insurances and various others. And this goes also B2B big time, not just B2C, coverage for import, export, right, of companies. These 360 individualized products, big time data used to create those new products and bring them to the market. I think of that personalization in the insurance context, especially in Australia, there is still so much more room to play because of the weather and the storm and also the peril about all of those weather, storm, etc. Flood and storm is often one of the perils that in the insurance, I think maybe perhaps not everyone need that and not everyone should be penalized by having to pay a high premium just because other people are getting the high premium. So love your take on that. Now that almost brings us to the end of this interview. And I have got two go-to questions for every single of my guests. What is your most important first principle? Well, so I think the most important for me, right, is I would say you have to have a big vision where you're going, but you have to be pragmatic about. We talk about agile execution. So you have to really have this agile mindset, focus, you know, execution. And with data, this is extremely important because data is very iterative. We talk about too. So if you're looking for the proof of business value, you kind of need to iterate to, to success. And I do spend quite a bit of time with clients, right? Because they want to, they see the magic, the one magic. They think about data and AI is magic. Let's put the magic and it will solve all my problems. It's not quite like that, right? You need to iterate to that success. You need to be patient about it, right? And you need to be pragmatic, right? Uh, it's not a big bang approach. It's good to have big vision, but really kind of incremental and agile execution. So Every time we work with a client, decide to help them to get, let's say, to achieve their one-year objective, so six-month objective, we're coming up with a concrete quick wins, right, to prove the value and gain the trust, right, and making sure you can build out from there. So it's important to focus on those quick wins to prove the business value. So again, agile execution yeah, that's kind of what brings the, the success in my mind, right? One more aspect I would call out, right, for the important principle, 
you don't work on technology for sake of technology, even though I'm very technologist and I, I love technology, but it's really about to have the quantified outcomes right out of it. So you need to really measure the success without measuring the success. It's not quite clear where you are, if it's good enough to stop or you need to continue. Wonderful. What is one book that you have read and thought it would have been better for your younger self to have? Yeah, so there are many books. Yeah, there's many books uh, I can mention, but I think there's, you know, I would mention one and if time permits, I'll mention one more because two in particular I like. So the number one in my mind, it's called The Opposable Mind by Rogers Martin. It's about successful leaders, right? But really how they become successful, what he calls integrative thinking. So in his mind, it's really not about what successful people do is really how they think, right? And this is also applicable to some extent to our analytical thinking and mind, right? So his position is really about this relentlessly diagnose and synthesize everything that around you by probing and asking questions. So more you work with people, more you ask questions, more you analyzing, that what really leads to success. So not how what you do, is how you think. So I think that's a great book for anyone to take on and learn. So for me, obviously, as a youngster, right, you always think you've got everything covered, right, and figure it out. So so reading this book and learning through the integrative thinking for better reflection, right, is definitely some important quality it was for me to develop. If we got time, I'll call one more book, if you're okay with that. Go for it. Yeah, so I think the other one I would call out, it's called The Stories of Success. So this is written by Malcolm Gladwell. What I like about that book in particular, it's the same concept, right? He kind of embarks on intellectual journey, understanding what he calls outliers, right? Basically, the successful people, again, and brightest, right? And most successful. But he really takes this holistic perspective, really understand and analyze the culture, the family, generation, right? And their upbringing and experience, what made them who they are. Right. So again, it's 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 a broader spectrum and it's not about what you do. It's more what made you who you are. Right. And kind of more a complete picture. So I think those two books go hand in hand because they give you clues. Right. And give you some very important tips. Right. To become better yourself. I agree. I think at the end of the day, it's really just coming up, coming down to how one's is able to think differently and think in a bigger picture, but also to be able to be disciplined in some of the aspects of our life as well. So uh, I think I would really enjoy reading those two books. I will go and check them out and add them into my Audible um, book. Thank you so much, Anatoly, for sharing all of this experience. I have to say I particularly enjoy some of those conversation where we got distracted but we go a lot in details so uh thank you so much for that thank you so much as well it's been a pleasure pleasure is all mine it was a great conversation thanks for having me today thank you 